Hello and welcome to the podcast filled with his love. Today I want to talk about the lessons from attachment relationships that we can learn from church history. So the quality of relationships not only affects families, it also can determine the future of whole organizations such as the church. When a marriage relationship sours, spouses separate or divorce, and when church members lose faith in their leaders or in God, they separate or divorce themselves from the church they once loved. My wife and I recently returned from two weeks in Europe on a tour that was called a Three Temple Tour. We visited the London Temple, Paris Temple, and Rome Temple, uh, along with many of the traditional sites uh, we saw along the way. It was quite an experience. We were asked to be tour educators and share some of the history of the church in England, France, and Italy, as well as the specific events that led to the construction of the temples in each of those great countries. When people ask me to give my reaction to how we liked the tour, I say, well, actually, preparing for the tour was, for me, one of the best parts of the tour, because we got to review church history and look at the wonderful events that led to the growth of the church in these three countries. So today I want to share some of the lessons we can take from the history of the church in England. Lessons about the centrality of relationships in our lives and in the restoration of the Church of Jesus Christ. You remember that Nephi prophesied in 1 Nephi 14 and 12, he prophesied that the church would one day be found upon all the face of the earth. In Nephi's words, I beheld the church of the Lamb of God, and its numbers were few. Nevertheless, I beheld that the church of the Lamb, who were the saints of God, and this is the important part, were also upon all the face of the earth, and their dominions upon the face of the earth were small. Now, we need to remember that Nephi made this prophecy hundreds of years before the church was restored. And he mentioned that it would be small. In other words, we're not going to have the majority of members of the church on all these countries, in all these countries. We're going to still be small, but we will cover the whole earth. Now, you'll also remember that Moroni told Joseph that Joseph's name would be known throughout the world. In the Joseph Smith history, it says, He called me by name and said unto me that he was a messenger sent from the presence of God to me, and that his name was Moroni, that God had a work for me to do, and here's the important part, and that my name should be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, and tongues, or that it should be both good and evil spoken of among all people. I have always felt that this is one of the most remarkable prophecies in this dispensation. Here was a 17-year-old boy having a visitation from an angel, and he was told that his name would be known throughout the world living at that time in a very small farming community. So then, and in 1830, immediately after the church was organized, Joseph tried to help church leaders understand how the message of the Restoration would spread throughout the entire world. These are the words of Joseph in 1830, after the church was organized. The prophet called on all who held the priesthood to gather into a little log house they had there, 
It was a small house, perhaps 14 feet square, but it held the whole of the priesthood of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You remember, there were only six there when the church was organized, and then there were a few more, and he invited all of them to come. He says, When we got together, the prophet called upon the elders of Israel with him to bear testimony of this work. When they got through, when they got through the prophet said, these are, the, these are actually the words of Joseph, Brethren, I have been very much edified and instructed in your testimonies here tonight, but I want to say to you before the Lord that you know no more concerning the destinies of this church and kingdom than a babe upon his mother's lap. You don't comprehend it. It is only a little handful of priesthood you see here tonight. But the church will fill North and South America. It will fill the world. Joseph knew from the very outset that this church would not be confined to Utah, to North America, to South America, or wherever. It would fill the whole earth. Then, in 1837, in one of the boldest actions I believe that the Prophet Joseph ever took, he called Heber C. Kimball and others to open the work in England. I call it a bold action because the church was barely in existence. Newly baptized members were not all strong in their faith. Their relationships to the prophet and to God often weakened and caused them to leave the church. But Joseph was inspired to call some of his strongest leaders to launch the work in a foreign country, not knowing beforehand how they would be received. So on Sunday, the 4th of June, 1837, Joseph Smith approached Heber C. Kimball in the Kirtland Temple and whispered, Brother Heber, the Spirit of the Lord has whispered to me, Let my servant Heber go to England and proclaim my gospel and open the door of salvation to that nation. The thought of such a mission was overwhelming to this humble man. In addition, the apostates amongst the leading councils of the church opposed this new revelation. Think of that. So here's Joseph trying to get the work started in England, and he had leaders that were closest to him opposing the work. So commenting on these trying circumstances, Heber said, I have These are Heber's words. I have seen the day when it was worth our mortal lives to sustain Joseph Smith. The apostates were so thick around us, and persecution was so great. The day was when Brother Brigham was the only apostle on the earth, with the exception of Joseph and Sidney and Hiram, that could say to Brother Heber, Go, and you shall be blessed. I am taking Brother Hyde with us, for he went with me on that mission to England. In connection with Brother Joseph, Brother Hiram, and Brother Sidney, Brother Brigham said, Go, Brother Heber, and in the name of Israel's God you shall be blessed and it shall prove the salvation of thousands. Again, an amazing prophecy, because they didn't know how things would go during this first mission to England. They didn't know that thousands would be baptized, but thousands were baptized. But Hebrew and others made the arduous journey to England and began preaching the gospel to all who would listen. They were often received with warmth and affection. Sometimes people would come up to them and say, wow, you came all the way from America. It's just amazing. <laughs> Kids would hang on their coats, and they, they loved their presence there. But they also had mobs who combined against them, just as those same kind of mobs fought against Ammon and the sons of Mosiah in the Book of Mormon. So Heber C. Kimball and others completed that first mission in 1837, and then they returned. And then in 1839, just two years later, they sent them back again. This time they sent 
eight apostles, and they joined another apostle who was already there in England. So this is on September 1839. Brigham and Heber decided it was time to start on their appointed mission. Both men were so ill with malaria that they had to be helped into a wagon. All of the Kimball household were bedridden, except four-year-old Heber Parley, who could just manage to carry water to the sick. This is really, I don't know, heart-rending scene, you know, these fathers leaving these families destitute in a way. As the men drove off, Heber said he felt that, quote, my very inmost parts would melt within me at leaving my family in such a condition, as it were almost in the arms of death. I felt as though I could not endure it. I asked the teamster to stop and said to Brother Brigham, this is pretty tough, isn't it? Let's rise up and give them a cheer. We arose and swinging our hats three times over our heads, shouted, Hurrah! Hurrah for Israel! Violet, hearing the noise, arose from her bed and came to the door. She had a smile on her face. Violet and Mary Ann Young cried out to us, Goodbye! God bless you! So they went with their wives' blessings, even though their families were in terrible condition. I hope you can feel some of the courage and the faith, the love that these early missionaries had for the Lord and his prophet, and for their families. Joseph was basically left alone. All nine faithful members of the Twelve went to a far-off country, and Joseph was left to deal with those leaders uh, whose faith in the Lord was weakening. What happened on this second mission to England? Well, with nine apostles all working together, giving their all to bring the message of the Restoration to, to another country and culture, the Church grew exponentially. Looking back on the growth that ensued as a result of these early missionaries, I am still astounded at their contribution and their success. It's, it's amazing to me. Think of it. By 1851, only a decade after this second mission of the Twelve to England, there were nearly three times as many members of the church in England as there were in Utah, 33,000 in England and 12,000 in Utah. And one in four of all of those in Nauvoo who had emigrated to Utah came from England also. So some have said that those in those early days, the church was not a Utah church. It was not an American church. It was a British church because most of the members were either living in England or had emigrated from England. Now, what are the lessons we can take from this remarkable account in the history of the Church? There are many, but here are three that I've chosen to mention. So first, we can sustain, when we sustain Church leaders, as those nine members of the Twelve did, our attachment to God becomes stronger. Those who knew Joseph recognized, I'm sure, that he was not perfect, but they also had a witness that he was an ordained prophet of God. He was the ordained prophet of God to bring about this final dispensation. So they accepted the call when it came and then did all in, all in their power, all they could, to draw upon God's assistance to magnify that call. Here's the second lesson. When we work together as Latter-day Saints, our attachment to each other grows stronger the three apostles who chose not to go to England on that second mission fell away from the church. They went their separate ways. But the nine who accepted the call 
and served with devotion, grew closer to each other. A bond formed among them because they were all working toward a common goal, a goal that came to them through divine inspiration. And so upon their return from England, they became the core leaders of the church. It's quite amazing, actually. Wilfred Woodruff became president of the church. John Taylor became president of the church. And these others remained faithful. And so you you look at the power of that mission, of that kind of growing together, building that bond with each other. Their attachment basically to God and to each other and to Joseph kept growing stronger. Third lesson, when we make sacrifices for the Lord, as did those early missionaries, we become more strongly attached to our family members. When Brigham and Heber left their families to serve in England, they made greater sacrifices, I think by a long shot, than most of any of us are called upon to make today. Being separated from their families for two years might have weakened their family relationships, but because they were on an errand from the Lord, as President Monson used to say, they were entitled to the Lord's help, and they got the Lord's help. And that help came not only to them, but to their families they had left behind. Their lives were evidence that the closer we draw to God, the closer we can draw to each other. So I hope as we reflect on the lives of those early saints, I hope we can take lessons that will help us draw closer to God and to each other in our families and to others in our wards and stakes. The is so important. The stakes are so high. Our relationships matter more than anything else we accomplish in this life. These are the things that are eternal. These attachments, these ceilings that we have with one another in our families are the most important thing that we do in mortality. So I hope if you know somebody that needs this kind of message, I hope you'll share this with them. And I look forward to being with you next time. Thanks.